Okay, we're starting here from the top of Yunamid Aleph, right after the Mishnah. Yesterday we left off the Mishnah, which said, Ein ben Shiloh which one of the distinctions that was made here is that when it comes to the Kedusha of Shiloh, it's only a temporary Kedusha, whereas the Kedusha of Yerushalayim is a permanent Kedusha. Therefore, after the destruction of Shiloh, Bamot, these types of mizbechot and independent type of worship of Hashem is permitted, whereas after the Churban Habayit, that is not the case. That's what our Mishnah states. Now the Gemara is going to deal with that on a more global level, which is, I'm Rabbi Yitzchak. I understand that they are makriv korbanot in Beit Chonyo. Beit Chonyo was found in Mitzrayim today. Now, Beit Chonyo is described in the Gemara in the end of Minachot. It has to do with the children of Shimon HaTzadik. Over there, there are two versions of the story as to the altercation between the children of Shimon HaTzadik as to who is going to take over for their father's position. In the end, one of them runs away to Mitzrayim. And in running away to Mitzrayim, establishes Beit Chonyo, which became a large center of worship, even for Jews in Mitzrayim. The Beit Chonyo, there in the Gemara Menachot, there's a machloka as to whether Beit Chonyo was a temple dedicated to Hashem, or was it a temple that was dedicated to Avodah Zarah? So now Rabbi Yitzchak makes a comment about Shemakurim and Beit Chonyo B'zmanazeh. Kasavar, the Gemara says from that, you must conclude, that Beit Chonyo lav Beit Avodah Zarahi. The first thing is, the fact that he's talking about Beit Chonyo in the context of the Dusha or Bamot, means that he thinks that Beit Chonyo is a temple that's dedicated to Hashem. That's number one. Number two is, That means, upon the building of the first Beit HaMikdash, the Kedusha that was established at that point in time was only temporary and not permanent. Because if it was permanent, then that Kedusha would preclude you from having any center of worship outside of Yerushalayim. The fact that he is saying that Beit Chonyo, they have worship in this temple, indicates that he believes that Bamot were Mutarot, even after the building of Yerushalayim, even after the establishment of Yerushalayim as the center of worship for Kalal Yisrael. So the Gemara concludes two things from that statement of Yitzchak. Number one is that Beit Chonyo is a temple to Hashem. And number two is Kedusha Rishona. The Kedusha from the Beit HaMikdash Rishon is only temporary and not permanent. Tichtiv. And where does he learn that from? Kilovate ata elam nachala. If you had to reach the point of Minucha Nachala, Pasugin Dvarim, that you will reach the points of Menucha and Nachala. We learned this again with regards to the Mishnah that we saw yesterday, which is Menucha Zushilo. Menucha refers to Mishkan Shilo. Nachala Zushalayim. Nachala refers to Yushalayim. Now, the way our Mishnah darshans it, or the way that it's found in the Mishnah, is that there is a separation between Shilo and Nachala and Yushalayim. Why does the Pasuk separate them? To tell you that between Shiloh and Yerushalayim, there is Heter Abamot, but after Yerushalayim, there's no Heter Abamot. On the other hand, the way Rabbi Yitzchak is going to learn the Pasuk is that there's actually an equivalence drawn between Shiloh and Yerushalayim. Mekish Just like by Shiloh, everybody agrees, after the destruction of Shiloh, Bamot, independent worship outside of the central location, is permitted. Af so too, by Nachla, Yerushalayim, even after the construction of Yerushalayim, upon the destruction of Yerushalayim, we go back to Heter Habamot. So this is the statement that we have in the name of Rabbi Yitzchak. So Amrulei, the Beit Midrash, they said to him, Amarta, did you say this? So Amrulei, no, I didn't say that. 
So Amar Rava, pipes up and says, Elokim Amra. He takes Elokim's like a Shvua. He definitely said it. And I personally learned it from him. So he is defying this denial by Rabbi Yitzchok and said, Rabbi Yitzchok really did say this. So the Gemara says, obviously Rabbi Yitzchok changed his mind. So why did Rabbi Yitzchok retract his position and therefore deny that he ever said it? He had a problem to Rabbi Mari. He had a problem from the statement of Rabbi Mari, the motive of Rabbi Mari. So here's the first statement, which is the way that we learn the Mishnah vis-a-vis what we saw now in the Pshit of Rabbi Yitzchak, which is that Elam Nucham and Achala says that Menucha means Shiloh has a heter Acharea, Nachala Yerushalayim has no heter Acharea, there is no Bamot afterwards. In addition to that, Bamot's not. We have a Mishnah that says, Mishibahu Yerushalayim, Nesrua Bamot. Once they reach Yerushalayim, the Bamot are Asurot, Velo Yilahem, Od Heter. And there was never any Heter afterwards. And that is what's classified as a Nachala. So here you have a statement from Rav Mari, as well as an explicit mission that says that Kedusha Rishona was permanent. And therefore, even after the Churban Yerushalayim, there is no Heter Habamot. So that caused Rabbi Yitzchak to retract his position or rescind his position because of these statements. Tosavad asks a very strong question over here. He says, wait a minute, didn't Rabbi Yitzchak know the Mishnah beforehand? We're not talking about a bright word. Here we're talking about a Mishnah. How did he not know the Mishnah that Kedusha Rishona is permanent? That's number one. Number two is the Gemara is about to show us that it's actually a Machloket Tanaim. And there are two positions within the Tanaim. Why can't Rabbi Yitzchak in the end just subscribe to the position in the Tanaim that says that Kedusha Rishona was only temporary and not permanent? Why does he just fold in the face of this Mishnah and the position of Rav Mari? So Tosua comes up with a big chedesh here, which narrows significantly the machloket here about Kedusha Rishona. Tosua says that everybody agrees that Kedusha Rishona, this Kedusha of the building of the first Beit HaMikdash, is a permanent Kedusha. And after the Churban Habayit, everyone agrees that there is no Heter HaBamot. What do they argue about? They argue about the other aspect of Kedusha Rishona, which is, how permanent is it? Is it so permanent that it's as if the Mikdash is standing, even when the Mikdash is not there? Or is it permanent enough to say that there is no Heter Bamot, but not strong enough to allow you to say that the Mikdash is as if standing? The Nafkamina will be, can you bring Korbanot in Yerushalayim when the Mikdash is not there? So that's what Tosafot says, this whole Machloket about the permanence of Kedusha Rishona revolves around this one issue. Can you bring Korbanot in the Makom Mikdash, Makom Mizbeach, or can you not? But everybody agrees that there's no Heter Bamot afterwards. And by that, he then explains Rabbi Yitzhak's position, which is Rabbi Yitzhak originally thought that Kedusha Rishona was temporary, and therefore, you could have a Hetar Bamot afterwards. Along comes Rav Mari and the Mishnah and tells us, no, 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 you mistook the Machloket here. The Machloket you're right is about Kedusha Rishona, but that Machloket is not about the Hetar Bamot, it's simply about whether you can be Makrib Korbanot after the Churban Abayids or not. Now, we'll come back and discuss this more in detail with regards to the ramifications today. Let's first discuss the Machloket Tanaim that we have here. It's not. We have a Mishnah. Amar Lezer, Shamati Bonim When they were building the Eichal, I mean, this is the time of the second Bayit, Asu they put up curtains for the Eichal, Beklaim Lazara, and they put up curtains around the Azara. I mean, they basically simulated the walls around the Eichal and the Azara by putting up curtains. Ela when it came to the Echal Bonim Mibachutz, 
they put the curtains, the wall has width to it. The curtains are much narrower. So they put the curtains, when it comes to the echal, inside of the thickness of the wall. Therefore, when they're building the wall outside of the curtains, they build the wall without having to be inside the echal, they can be outside the echal. When it comes to the azara, it's the other way around, which is that the curtains were to the outside of the width of the wall, and they're boning mimifnin, they build from the inside. The obvious reason for this is that they don't want people in the heichal building. So they have the curtains on the inside by the heichal, whereas by the azara they have the curtains on the outside. The implications or the impression the Gemara is trying to give us here is that Rabbi Eliezer believes that there was a requirement to build and to establish a mikdash in order to bring the korbanot. Rabbi Rabbi Shua says, Shamati shimakrivim afopishain bait. You can be makriv even though there's no bait in mikdash. Ochlim kodesh kodashim. You can eat the Kodesh Kodeshim even though there are no walls or curtains around the area of the Echal of the Kodesh. Kodeshim Kalim Umaisosheni Afapishain Choma. And you can eat Kodeshim Kalim Umaisosheni even though there's no wall around the city. So even though you're lacking the walls that define the areas in which you can eat, the walls of the city for Maisosheni and Kodeshim Kalim, the walls of the Azara for Kodeshim Kodeshim in terms of they're being eating and petachol moed, all of those things that are requirements of a korbanot, you don't need them to be there physically. Once they've been established, they are there permanently, which is because, because the first kedusha was a permanent kedusha, meaning when they built the first Beit Mikdash, that kedusha remains permanently and is never undone. So you don't need all of these things. Michal, you would infer from this, that Rabbi Lezer Savar lo kitshalati davo. The statement that Rabbi Shu is arguing on, he's arguing on Rabbi Lezer, and Rabbi Lezer says that you have to put up the walls, you have to put up these items, implying that he believes that the Kedusha Rishona, the first Kedusha, was not permanent, and that's why they had to rebuild the Mikdash in order to be Makrim Korbanot. Because in Sefer Ezra we know that they come back and they begin the construction of the Mikdash, but they don't complete the construction of the Mikdash for a very long time period. There are time periods where they have the secession of the building, cessation of the building, and so on and so forth. So how do they makrib karbanot in the interim? So they did that by putting up the walls according to Rabbi Lezer. According to Rabbi Shua, there was no necessity for that. So the Gemara says here, look, you have a machloket tanaim as to whether the first Kedusha was permanent or not. Amalei Ravina, the Ravash, Why do you have to say that's a machloket? Dilma dekuleyama Kedusha Rishona kitsha l'shaita v'kitsha l'tidavo. Maybe everybody agrees that the first Kedusha is permanent. So then, how do you explain their difference in opinion? They were telling you what they heard about what they did in the time of Ezra. They didn't have it documented. So here they're giving you what the Mesorah was that they had about what exactly they did. But not that there's a halakhic ramification to what they did. They simply, this was the manner in which it was done. Then Lord says, well then, so then, according to Rabbi Lezer, if the Kedusha Rishona was permanent, why does he need the curtains to be established in order to put up a Mikdash? He says, that's not a halachic reason. They put it up there simply to make an area that's private, so that the Avodah wouldn't be done in this open forum. It would be done within a context of the Mikdash. So the Kulayim were simply for Tzniyut. They were not for the halachic ramifications. But everybody agrees that the Kedusha, or the original Kedusha Rishona, was permanent. So Mar says, okay, we can't prove from there that there's a machloket tanaim. Elaki hai tanae. Here is where we can show there's a machloket tanaim about this issue. The Tanya, Amar Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yosi, Lama manu chachamim et elu. Why did the chachamim count these cities? Kishalu bnei agola matzu et elu v'kidushum. That when the bnei agola came back in the time of the second return, second coming of bnei Israel to Eretz Israel when they returned from Bavel, when they returned from Paras. 
When they come up there, they have these cities, and they establish these cities, and they make Kadesh them. But the first ones, meaning from the time of Yeshua Binun, but once the land was conquered and Benesa were thrown out, it lost its status of Kedusha. Alma Kasavar, you would conclude from this, that he holds that Kedusha Rishona, that the Kedusha Rishona was only a temporary Kedusha and had to be reestablished with the return of the people in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So that's what the first Tana says here. Rathana says that as far as the Kedusha of the walled cities in Eretz Israel, the reason that the Mishnah in Arachin is listing out these cities is to teach you that these cities have Kedusha. Why do these cities have Kedusha? Because they were reconsecrated in the time of the second Beit HaMikdash. But why do they have to reconsecrate them? Because without the reconsecration, they would not retain the Kedusha or the original Kedusha from the first time that Bnei Israel were in Eretz Yisrael, before the Galut Bavel. So he has a clear position that the Kedusha Rishona is only temporary. On the other hand, Veriminu, Amrabi Shmo, Rabbi Yossi, Vichy Elu Bilvad Hayu. So that's not the only statement we have from Rabbi Shmo, Rabbi Yossi, the first statement. And now we have another statement from Rabbi Shmo, Rabbi Yossi. And he says here, Vichy Elu Bilvad Hayu. Were these the only cities that were walled cities from the time of Yeshua Binun, Alok Vaneimar, Shishim Ir, Kochelevargov. These are all these cities that they conquered up in the area of Avery Yardain. Uchtiv, Golelarim, Bitsurot, Choma. These cities were fortified cities with walls. Gvoa, Choma Gvoa, they had these tall, impregnable walls. So you see here that these are walled cities from the time of Yeshua Binun. Elama Manu Hachamit Elu. Why did Hachamim enumerate these cities and not all these other cities? Shalu Bnei Agola, Matsu Elu, Vikidishum. When the Bnei Agola came up, they found them, and they were Mikadesh, and they sanctified them. Where it says, Kiddishum, why were they consecrating them? Hashta ha'amri lo tzrichadikdusha. You just told me you don't need to be Mikadesh them. Ella, you have to say this, Matsu Elu, Uminaum. They found these, and they counted them. Velo Elu Bilvad. But these aren't the only cities. This is just a sampling of the cities. Elo ko'o shatolei elucha mesor biyadecha me'avotecha. Any city that you know of which had a wall from the time of Yeshua Benun, then all the mitzvot of a walled city apply to it. The reason being, the first Kedusha that was established by the building of the first Beit HaMikdash was a permanent Kedusha, and that Kedusha remains forever. Since it remains forever, as long as you can identify or figure out where these cities were, or the cities that did have walls around them from the time of Yeshua Binun, then they have Kedusha of a walled city. Kedusha of a walled city has a number of anapkaminot. One is, in terms of selling the house within that walled city, there are different rules than selling a house in unwalled cities. Number two is, with regards to Mitzorah. Mitzorah must be thrown out of the area of Machane Yisrael. Well, Machane Yisrael, in Eretz Yisrael, is considered to be any city that has a wall around it. Walled cities from the time of Yeshua Binun, then the Mitzorah has to be sent out of that city. In addition, of course, an Armasachta that has a Nafkamino with regards to reading the Megillah on the 15th instead of the 14th. So these Nafkaminot apply to these cities, these walled cities, and that's dependent on when you think these walled cities are consecrated from. Is it that when the second time that Benesor returned to Eretz Yisrael in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they were once again consecrated, remikhadesh these cities because the Kedusha, or the original Kedusha, did not carry forward. Kedusha Rishona was only temporary. On the other hand, if you believe that Kedusha Rishona was permanent, then these cities are just an enumeration of those cities we know for sure had a wall around them from the time of Yeshua Binun. 
but any city that you know that about would also have the same din as these cities. So now the Gemara says, Kasha, the Rabbi Shmuel, the Rabbi Shmuel. So you have a problem here because you have Rabbi Shmuel in the Mishnah, Rabbi Shmuel in the Brayta, and they're both, one saying that Kedusha Rishon is permanent, one saying Kedusha Rishon is temporary. One answer is, yes, it's Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Yossi, but it's two different Tanaim quoting them. They have a difference in opinion as to what Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Yossi said. That the difference is that one of them is Rabbi Loza and Rabbi Yossi, and one of them is Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Yossi. So the one that Rabbi Loza and Rabbi Yossi Amra, the Tanya, we have a bright, Rabbi Loza and Rabbi Yossi Amar, Asher Lo Chuma, that doesn't have a wall, so you saw the drush on that, the Korean Ktiv, the Lamed Vav versus the Lamed Aleph. It's written with the Lamed Aleph, it means no wall. But if the red has a Lamed Vav, that it has a wall. So that's what he teaches, the drush that Rabbi Lazar Brabiosi has from that is that, even though the wall was destroyed at a latter period, as long as it had a wall at the time of Yeshua Binun, that suffices to make it into a walled city. So you see that Rabbi Lazar Brabiosi could be the author of the position that believes that it's permanent. The Gedusha, or the first Gedusha is permanent. Whereas the Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi will be the author of the position that says that Gedusha Rishonah was only temporary. So therefore you have here a Machloket Tanaim that is clearly established by the Gemara with regards to Gedusha Rishonah. Gedusha Rishonah could be permanent, or Gedusha Rishonah could be temporary. There is other, There are other sugyot in Shas which discuss another possibility, which is Gedusha Shniah. That the Kedusha in the time of the second Beit HaMikdash was a permanent Kedusha. And even if you believe that the first Kedusha wasn't, the second one was permanent. Over here, Tosafot tries to downplay that position and say that's only with regards to Trumot. That only has true with regards to Kedusha Ta'aretz, but not with regards to Yerushalayim. That's the way Tosafot plays it down. Now, as far as the Locha is concerned, there are many permutations of opinions with regards to what the Locha is over here. The Tosafot over here, again, diminishes or minimizes the Kedusha Shniya and says everything has to do with the Kedusha Rishona. And therefore, you come up with opinions that range the gamut, including the Balea Tosafot, who have many different permutations of this, which is, some say that the Kedusha Rishona was permanent with regards to Yerushalayim, but only temporary with regards to the Aretz, the land of Eretz Yisrael, whereas Kedusha Shniya also had the impact of affecting the Kedushat Aretz. That's one opinion in Tosafot. Tosafot then has another opinion, just the opposite, which says that Kedusha Rishona, the first Kedusha was permanent with regards to the Aretz, but it was only temporary with regards to Yerushalayim. And then Yerushalayim was only reestablished with its Kedusha in the time of the second Bayit. Tosafot has all of these opinions. The Rambam has the first one that we mentioned in Tosafot. So the Rambam has this unusual opinion, which is that the Kedusha of Yerushalayim was permanent at the first time that we went in, whereas the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael only became permanent in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, in the time of the Chazara, the return from Bavel. And he explains why. He says that with regards to Kedusha of Yerushalayim, Kedusha of Yerushalayim is dependent on the Shekhinah, the presence of Hashem. As we've discussed before, once the presence of Hashem was there in Yerushalayim, it never departed. Since it never departed, Yerushalayim always maintains its Kedusha from that moment in time when it was consecrated. On the other hand, Eretz Yisrael, the first time we came into Eretz Yisrael, we got it through conquering it. So therefore, when someone else conquered us and threw us out, it loses its Kedusha. On the other hand, the second time that we came back to Eretz Yisrael, we did not get it through conquest. We got it through a grant, or a chazoko, that was granted to us by the king of Paras. 
that grant gives it a status of permanence because it has nothing to do with conquest anymore. It has to do with the status or the chazoko that we have over at Yisrael. Now, the Rambam's position is interesting. The question is, why? I mean, we just explain what the Rambam says. The Rambam says that one depends on the Shekhinah and one has to do with Eretz Yisrael and how we got to Eretz Yisrael. It still requires some explanation of difference. But Salavechik, Zatzal, gave a distinction or explanation within the Shito of the Rambam it explains that the difference really depends on when Yerushalayim was sanctified. When it came to the first time B'nai Israel entered into Eretz Yisrael, they're Mikadesh Eretz Yisrael before they're Mikadesh Yerushalayim, because Yerushalayim is only established much later on. So the Kedushat Eretz preceded the Kedushat Yerushalayim. Well, Kedushat Yerushalayim is dependent on the Shekhinah, that remains permanently. But with regards to Kedushat Eretz, which came before Kedushat Yerushalayim, that can be wiped out that can be removed. On the other hand, the second time that they come up to Eretz Yisrael, first of all, Yerushalayim always maintained its Kedushah, but beyond that, when they come up to Eretz Yisrael the second time, they center themselves in Yerushalayim, and then only afterwards sanctify the cities around. So then that next time that they come, the Kedushah Eretz was after Kedushah Yerushalayim, and since Kedushalayim is permanent with the Shekhinah, they're able to then have that Kedushah spread to other areas in Eretz Yisrael, and make that a permanent Kedushah, the Kedushah Ta'aretz. That's the explanation of the Rambam. The Raivod does not agree with the Rambam, and he says very strongly, he says, mohi. He says the Rambam made this up himself. I have no clue where he came up with this. Now, obviously the Rambam wasn't the only one who came up with this. The Balea Tosafot describes something simpler, similar. They're trying to reconcile all the different Gemarot. Our Gemara here says there's only Machloket about the first Kedushah. Other places we have Machloket about Kedushah Shniya. In order to reconcile all these differences, that's what the Rambam solved, and so did the Baliatov's vote. On the other hand, the Rivet believes, ben We never see any distinction between Mikdash Yerushalayim, the Shar, Eretz Yisrael. It's all the same. Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim, whether Kedusha Rishon or Kedusha Shniya, there's no distinction drawn between Yerushalayim versus the rest of Eretz Yisrael. Even, according to Rabbi Yossi, who says the second Kedushah, the second Mekdash established permanent Kedushah, he only says it about the land of Israel, not about Yerushalayim and the Mekdash. So he knows that Yerushalayim and the Mekdash would be destroyed in the future, and therefore he only was Mekdash at Al-Tanai, that when it's destroyed it would lose its Kedushah. So he actually turns out to be the opposite of the Rambam now, saying that the Kedushah of the Eretz Yisrael was permanent, according to Rabbi Yossi, whereas the Kedushah of Yerushalayim was temporary. But then in the big picture, he says that Yerushalayim and the Eretz Yisrael have the same din, and they should be structured parallel in terms of whether they have Kedushah or not. You can't say one has Kedushah and one does not have Kedushah. And therefore the Ravid com- concludes then, he says, Kach niglali misod Hashem I got this from a secret of Hashem that is given over to those that fear Him. And he says that this came to him in some sort of Ruach HaKodesh of sorts. Therefore, someone who enters the Makom HaMikdash nowadays, there's no Chiyub Karet. He says the Kedusha of Yishlaim was only temporary and does not remain with us today. The Beit HaBechira, the Me'iri, and Masechet Shavuot, also brings down a similar concept and writes like this: He's quoting the Rivet, obviously. 
Then he writes like this, The basic practice today is to go in there. But from what we hear, people go up to Harabite all the time. It says you should only eat in a place where there's actually a mechitza in terms of Meser Shini. But he says that the Minag Pashut is to ascend to Harabait because there is no Kiddusha there. So there you have difference almost to about the permanence of Yushalayim. Some saying that Yushalayim's permanence as Kiddusha starts from the beginning and never leaves. Versus the Rav who is saying that Kiddusha Yushalayim is much more temporary than the Kiddusha of the remainder of Eretz Yisrael. So there you have these different of opinions within the Rishonim in order to, again, try to understand or explain how the Gemarot lay out with regards to Kedusha Rishonah and Kedusha Shniyah. We in general, the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah, Paskin, simply along the lines of the Rambam, and we are Choshesh for Kedushat Yerushalayim, and we do worry about the fact that people should not go up to Harabait unless they are properly attended to in terms of Tuman Tara. And obviously you can't enter the areas that were the Makoma Migdash because there we don't have the ability to mutahar ourselves to enter into those areas. So then we are Choshesh for those Shitot that say that there is permanent Kedusha to Yerushalayim. And that's how people, even those who send Harabai today, conduct themselves. On the other hand, with regards to Kedusha to Eretz Yisrael, we are Somech on most of the Rishonim that today all of Kedusha to Eretz is Midrabanan. It's only Midr Rabbanan, and therefore all the Trumot Masrot that we take off is Midr Rabbanan. The Shemitah that we keep is also Midr Rabbanan. The Rambam gives an additional reason to why that, that is the fact, is because even if you say the Kedushah Eretz Yisrael is permanent, with regards to Trumot and the Mitzvot at they have an additional requirement that Rov Yisrael be Be'eretz Yisrael. And until that's true, then there's no Dindo Raita of Kedushah of Eretz Yisrael. And again, today we are no Hague in that manner that the Kedushah of Eretz Yisrael is not considered to be permanent in the way that would make us Chayv Midoraito, because either what the Rambam says, or because we believe, like others, that the Raiva, that maybe there was no permanent Kedushah, and we basically assume that all the Mitzvot Tuliyot Baritz, we are practicing them Midorabanan, and not Midoraito based on that. But obviously there are opinions who think the Kedushah was permanent and triggers it to be a Mitzvot Doraito. And others who think that the Kedushah dissipated and there is no Kedushah there to show and therefore there would be no obligation in terms of Trumot or any of the Mitzvah the Tuliyot whatsoever. Our practice, again, is to be Noheg like it is a Mitzvah di Rabbanan. Okay, now we're going to move on to now the beginning of the Agadatah. The Agadatah that's going to take us through the remainder of the parak, which really discusses the Megillah and the Agadatah of Purim and the Drashot on the Megillah. So here the Gemara begins here, Vahi Yonatan. So this is Rabbi Levi, we're going to have a number of memorot from him. Then first of which is this one, which is We have this Misorah, man, Anytime the Torah uses the term Vahi, you can accept, expect something bad or difficult to take place afterwards. So here the example, or the classic example, why it's brought here is Vahi Bimeachashverosh. So that starts with Vahi. And the conclusion is obviously something bad happened, which is have a Haman. Haman shows up on the on the scene. Vayibi meishvota shoftim in Migilat Ruth. It says vayibi meishvotavtim, and then right afterwards have a rab. There's a famine there. In the beginning of Sefer Breshit, it says vayhi kechel adam l'rov vayar Hashem kirabav ra'at adam. So man gets up now and begins to go around. 
As soon as Vayhi, this happens, he turns out to do really bad. The man went off on his evil ways. This is talking about Migdal Bavel. Again, Vayhi. And it says, Let us go build a tower or a city. This is with regards to the four kings and the five kings in the battle with Abraham. So it says, So then a war ensues. We saw this earlier in the parak that Yoshua is walking around Yericho at night. And then all of a sudden a Malach Hashem appears to him with his sword drawn and again takes him to task over the Bitul Atamid and the Bitul Torah. Hashem was with Yoshua. And then you have the problem right after the conquest of Yericho that they were Mo'el. They took from the booty that they weren't supposed to take from Yericho. Achan does at least. Then next one is from the beginning of Shmuel Aleph. The beginning of Sefer Shmuel is about Vayihi. And then sure enough, right afterwards, we get the information that Chana is unable to have children. Then the next one is with regards to Shmuel, a little later on in Sefer Shmuel. It says, Shmuel. Shmuel gets older. And sure enough, his children do not follow in his ways. Next one is, David David, things are going well for him. Everything he does with a wisdom and Hashem is with him. And right afterwards, Vahishuel Oyena David. In other words, we have Shaul who is now becoming hostile towards David and becomes his adversary. Next is that David Amalek is now settled in his palace inside of Ir David. And now he has in mind, let me build a house for Hashem. I want to build a Beit Mikdash. And sure enough, he gets news right after that, which is, and it says, that, are you going to be the one who's going to build me a house in which to live? Or the pasuk that we, what we have quoted here is, you're not going to build it. So then we have here a description of a big disappointment that David wants to go and build the Mikdash, and he's denied by Hashem in building of the Mikdash through the Natana Navi. Now the Gemara says, wait a minute, is that really true? Because we have examples of the word Vayhi, and they don't seem to be so negative. Which is, Vayhi Bayom HaShmini. Bayom HaShmini is the Shmini of the Miluim. And it says there, Vatanya Otoa Yom HaTas Simchaf Neokosh Baruch Hu, Kanyom Shni Vrobo Shemayim Varetz. On that day Hashem rejoiced, like on the day that He created the world. Ketiv Hacha Vayhi Bayom HaShmini. It says here, by the consecration of the Mishkan, Vayhi Bayom HaShmini. Ketiv Hotam, and it says, by creation, Vayhi Erev, Vayhi Voker Yom Echad. So those two we're going to bring together and create a Gzeira Shava of sorts, which teaches us that as far as the Yom HaShmini is concerned, it's a very happy day. And it's a happy day because it's like the day of creation. So Mar says, now that's easy to explain, Hashchiv Nadav and Aviu. Okay, it's a great day, but there's also some pretty big negative things that happen, which is that Nadav and Aviu are struck down on that day. Doesn't it say after 480 years from the time that Bnei Israel lived, left Mitzrayim. And over there, Shlomo was building the Beit HaMikdash. There's nothing negative going on. Vachtiv. And we have other additional examples. Vahi Yaakov Rachel. When Yaakov saw Rachel in Vachtiv, and it doesn't it say in Mesei Breshit, Vahi Erev HaYivoker Yom Echad. Vahi Gashini, Vahi Keshlishi, Vahi Ketuva. If all the days of creation where it says Vahi Erev HaYivoker, and none of that is considered to be negative, and the same thing with regards to when Yaakov sees Rachel. These aren't negative outcomes. These are things that actually turned out pretty positively. 
So Gemara amends now the statement in order to rectify the problem. So I'm a Ravashi. When it comes to Vayihi, there's some that are good, there are some that are bad. It's not definitive with regards to the word Vayihi. But Vayihi tsar. When it comes to the usage of the word, the phrase Vayihi may, that is always negative. And the explain over here that Chamisha Vayihi Havu. So whenever you have Vayihi it's a Lashon Tsar. And there are five appearances of Vayibimei in Tanakh. It says Vayibimei Achashverosh, which is obviously our case of here by Purim. Vayibimei Shvota Shoftim. And Vayibimei Amrafel. Those three we quoted before in the Gemara for Vayihis that are bad. Now they both all have Vayibimei. And those Vayibimei is negative in all these cases. By the time of Achashverosh, you have Haman. By the time of Shvota Shoftim, you have a Rav, a famine. Vayibimei Amrafel, you end up with a war. So then the Gemara says Vayibimei Achaz. That's also Something that's considered to be negative. And also, So, is actually from Yirmiyahu Aleph, which was this week's for the uh, Haftorah that we just passed. Parshat Matot. It is the first of the Shloshad de Purnata, the three Haftorot of Purnata we read from Yirmiyahu Aleph. So, it's, it starts out, and then it goes on to tell Yirmiyahu basically that Bavel is going to be coming from the north and it's going to override the entirety of Eretz Yisrael, and everybody's going to go into Galut. That's Vayibimei Yoakim. Vayibimei Achaz also ends up starting out as something negative, although it ends in a much more positive note, which is here in the Nebuah of Yishayahu. Vayibimei Achaz ends up, or results, in a battle against him, where Pekach ben Ramalia and the Melech Aram form an alliance to come and attack Achaz in Yehuda. But right after that, Hashem appears to him and says, listen, I'm going to save you. These two, these two no goodniks are going to be wiped out, and you don't have to worry about them. Just you make sure that you follow in the ways of Hashem, and then it gives a messianic type of view there, the birth of a child who's going to be a redeemer, and the, many of the Rishonim and most of the Mephashim there explain it, referring to Chizkiyahu HaMelech. So here again, Yavayibimechaz at least starts out as a negative, which is that he's now being attacked, by two enemies at that point in time, but Yishayahu's message to him is actually more positive after that point in time. So here you have five times the word Vayibimei is used. In all of these cases, it has a negative association. Now, we have another statement, Amrabi Levi. So Amrabi Levi is brought here, not because necessarily it's connected to our Gemara or to Purim, but it's brought here because it's Rabbi Levi who's the author of the position, which is, We have this Bimisora from our forefathers, Amotz Vamatsi Moz and Matsu were brothers. Ma says, my Kamash Okay, great. They were brothers, but what does that mean? Kiyad Amrab Shmo Barnachmani Am Rabionatan. It's because of this saying of Rabbi Shmo Barnachmani Am Rabionatan. Kokliya Shihi Kokala Shitsnuab Bait Khamiya. Any daughter in law who is very tsanua within the house of her father in law. Zuchavi Yotimi Menamlachimunivim. Because of her Sniyot, she's then Zoha that she has kings and Nivim and prophets that will descend from her. Minolon. How do we know this is true? Mitamar. We know this from Tamar Dikhtiv, because it says by Tamar Yuda, Kikiseta Pana. So Yuda sees her on the side of the road. He thinks of her as being a Zona. Why does he think of her as a Zona? Kikiseta Pana, because she covered her face. So what does that mean? Mishum. Here's the drasha. Mishum de kis dapana, because she covered her face. Why 
Why would he consider it as Hona when she covers her face? Covering her face is a sign of Tzniut. It's not a sign of being a Zona. Ella, what's the answer? Mishum de Kistetap and Abbebet Chamiya. She kept her face veiled or covered in her father-in-law's house. He had no idea who she was. He never recognized her because he never seen her face. So And therefore she was the one who was Zucha, that she had kings and prophets that descended from her. Obviously Yehuda marries her. And the lineage of David comes from Tamar. So she is obviously the mother of the Davidic line. The problem is, how do we know this is true with regards to prophets to Nevi'im as well? So Melachim David. Nevi'im, how do we know Nevi'im also? That's what that statement was meant, which is that Amotz and are brothers. So it says with regards to Amotz, Chazon Yishayahu ben Amotz. So Yishayahu's father is Amotz. So Yishayahu is a, one of the top permanent Nevi'im amongst Kalal Yisrael. Yishayahu ben Amotz. And we just said here, Amotz ve'amatzi achim. Amatzi is one of the kings of Yehuda. So one of the kings of Yehuda is Amatzi and his brother is Amotz. That means Yishayahu is also from the same Davidic line. And therefore Yishayahu is a descendant of Tamar. And that's how we prove that Tamar, because of its new, had both a Navi and Melachim and kings that descended from her. Now, Bama Rabbi Levi, again, another statement from Rabbi Levi. That the Makom Aron takes up no space in the Kodshe HaKodashim. And we learned this together in Baba Bacha and Yom as well. Just go through it quickly over here, which is Tanya Nami Hoch. We have a Brighter that supports it that the Aron took up no space. Aron Asha Moshe, Yeslo Esra Motuko Ruach. When it comes to the Aron of Moshe, it has 10 Amot of airspace in every direction. The only problem is that the entire Devir, the entire Kodesh HaKodashim, is only 20 by 20 Amot. Well, you have 10 Amot of empty space in every direction. That means the Aron is taking up no space. And it says, tells you there that the length and the width of the Devir of the Kodesh HaKodashim is 20 by 20. And now this next part is not necessarily necessary. There the statement in Baba Batra says two things. It says, number one, that the Aron is Enu Minamida. The Aron is not counted as taking up space. In addition to that, it says the Kuvim do not take up space. They don't take up space because the wingspan that's going to be described here takes up the entire space, which is that, Each one of the Kuvim had a wingspan of ten amot. So then, if they're ten amot, ten amot, that's twenty across, there's no more room for the body of the Kuvim. So Gemara says, Aron, Hecha Havakoi. So where's the Aron fit into this picture? Where the Kuvim fit into this picture? It was there without taking up any space. So the fact that it was there without taking up any space is an indication of the presence of the Shekhinah. We talked about this in the past, that the most, more obvious the miracle and the more obvious that the presence of Hashem is there, that is where it becomes more and more Kadosh. The Kodesh HaKadoshim is a place where it's so obvious that there's the presence of Hashem because of the Aron, and the Aron takes up no space. So that is obvious that Hashem's presence is felt in that location. That's why that's a place that is the most Kadosh place in the Kodesh HaKodashim. Rabbi Yonatan, so now we move on to a new genre of Agarata here, which is that when they gave a shear to start the drushot on Migilat Esther, as Rashi calls it everywhere, Gerit Purim, they wanted to dash in Gerit Purim, or they wanted to do a drushot regards to Purim, this is the opening thing that they did, or opening drusha that they gave. 
So when he began to engage in Purim and Migdinat Esther, he used to open with this parshuta, Vikamti Alehem, and I will come upon you, Vichrati the Bavel, and then I wipe out for Bavel Shame, Usha'ar, Vinin Vinechet. When we do it from them, their name, their remnant, their offshoot and their offspring, Nu Mashem. Now the Gemara explains what are these items? Shame, Zaktav. What do you mean I'm going to wipe out their name? This is the font or the lettering that they use. That's because, Rashi says over here, they didn't have their own. They were borrowing it for someone else. She'ar, zulashon, zelashon. That refers to the language. That the language is going to be wiped out or destroyed. Nin, zemachut. The nin, which is mentioned in the Pasuk, the offshoot means the kingship or the kingdom will be taken away from them. Finechet zuvashti. Finechet, the granddaughter, that's vashti. Here is how Chazal connect her back to the Nebuchadnezzar of Babel and say that Vashti is related to her. And that Achashverosh's ascent to the throne was because he married into royalty. And Nechad, that I will wipe out the Nechad, that's Vashti who gets wiped out over here in the story of the Megillah. Tosva does ask the question with regards to Lashona Babel. We know that Lashona Babel is Aramaic. And Aramaic is still spoken till today. So he says that was the language of the street. But there was another language of the royalty and that's what we were speaking and that's what it was lost. He used to open up the draw shows with regards to Migilat Esther with the following. In place of the thorns will come up cypress. And in place of the briars, myrtle will come up. So by the way, this is interesting. I always think of this right before Purim. This is the parak in Ishayahu that we read on any fast day in the afternoon. The Torah that we read is from this. And this pasuk is mentioned. So always think about it that Tanit Esther that proceeds going into the reading of the Megillah or Purim itself. So here in the afternoon you have this pasuk quoted and he's going to drush, darshan it here with regards to Purim. And they go into Purim. I'm not which sure which is the cause and which is the result, which one's the chicken, which one's the egg. But you have a drush here from an afternoon on the Tanit that is always adjacent to the beginning of Purim, except when Purim falls out on Sunday. Right, so then he says here, what does it mean? Tachananutsuts, Yolevirosh, Tachasipari, Yolehadas. Tachananutsuts, who does that Tachanutsuts mean? Tachanamanarasha. He will replace, uproot, Amanarasha. Sasa atzmo avodazara. Made himself into idolatry. Dichtiv. Ubechola naatsutsim, ubechola nahalulim yale. There, it's not so clear that the Pasuk is saying exactly what Chazal say over here. But it says, in all, all the thorns, in all the brambles, yaleh, they will come upon them, they will dwell upon them. So it seems to be that Natsutim and Alulim are these negative things of what is Zerah, and they'll be overridden. Parosh, Sam Mordechai. The Cypress refers to Mordechai, Shinikra, Rosh, Ducholab Samim. Because he's called the top or the head of all the spices. Shinamar, it says, Vata Kachlechab Besamim Rosh, Mar Deror. This is one of the Besamim that is counted towards the making of the items for the Mishkan. Umitargaminon. And over there, the translation in Aramaic is Maridachi. Maridachi. Marimur. Dachi means pure tahor. But Maridachi is also Mordechai. So that's what it means. Tacharat Natsuts. Yalev Verosh. The Rosh is referring to Mordechai. Tacharat Sirpad. In place of the briars is Tachat Vashti That is Vashti, who gets wiped out, Bat Binosh of Nebuchadnezzar. She's the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar Rasha. We just saw this before, that she's the granddaughter, because that's what the reference in the Pasuk is to being wiped out. 
And Ren Bechor Netzar is the one who says, Saraf, Rifidato, Beit Hashem, because he destroyed the roof or the structural support of the house. That the roof was made out of gold. But here you see that the word Rifidato is used in the context of the Mikdash. And Nebuchadnezzar is the one who destroyed it. And then his granddaughter is the one who is the considered to be this Tacharasirpad. Yaleh Hadas, the myrtle will come in place. Zu Esther, that refers to Esther. Hatzadeket, Shnekreit Hadasa, because her name is Hadasa. Her Hebrew name is Hadasa. Her Persian name is Esther, or Istar. Shnemar, Vahi Omenet Hadasa. That Mordechai was taken care of Hadasa. And Hadasa is Esther. Now, Vahiyad Hashem Lashem, that's a continuation of the Pasuk from Yishayahu, which is Tachar Anatsuz Yilev Rosh, Tachar Zibar Yaleh Hadas, Vahiyad Hashem, the shame. It'll be for Hashem a name. Zumik Ramigila. Lo ot olam lo yikaret. A sign forever that will never be cut off. Ilu yimei Purim. That refers to Purim. So they see that pasuk that is brought in Yeshayel is referencing to Purim and he used that as his introductory remarks to the learning of the Migila. Rabbi Shua ben Levi patach la pitchalai parashatamihocha. He used to open up his drasha with this statement or this saying. Vahik hashir sas Hashem alechem letiv etchem. Ken yasis tlaralech etchem. And just like the way Hashem rejoiced over you when things were going well, so too He will rejoice over you when things do not go well. It says, Since when does Hashem celebrate the death or the loss of the Rishayim? Doesn't it say, So here is talking about the case with regards to Yoshafat. Yoshafat is going out to battle with Amun Moaf, and they have a fast day in Yerushalayim, and He gives them Musar, and they start to go out from Yishlaim, and they have these musical accompaniment that's going out with them. So when they go out, these troops that go out, and they sing, give praise to Hashem, because it's chasid, it's so great. Now this is prior to the battle, and before before the, they find out that basically that Amon and Moab were defeated already, or destroyed, and they really don't even have to go to battle. But the Bumar views this as a praise to Hashem for the assistance that He provides them. And here you look carefully, it says, Hodula Shem, Kilam Chastov. What's missing from there? Kitov. Rabbi Yochanan, Maloni Amar Kitov. Why was Kitov left out of that? Boda Zu. In this praise to Hashem, they left out the word Kitov, because Hashem does not rejoice in the fall of Tzadikim. What is meant in the Pazuk? That they did not approach each other all night. The Pashtura Pasuk is that the Machane Mitzrayim and Machane Israel were kept separate overnight by the cloud and by the fire. They bring down the Midrash that the Malachi Shereit wanted to sing Shira before Hashem. And his response to them is, My creation is now drowning in the ocean or in the sea. You're singing about this? That's inappropriate. It's wholly inappropriate. So lo karav zel zekol alayla is the opposite of what we say in Kedusha. We say with regards to Kedusha of the Malachim, they are karav zel So here it's the lo karav zel They did not reach each other, meaning they did not sing shira on that day. So then we have here the conclusion, which is, Ma'asei tavim b'yam v'atem shira. How are you celebrating this fact? So then, how can we say that the whole idea of the Megillah, of the shame of the old Olam, is that Hashem is going to rejoice over the destruction of the, or the destruction of the Rishayim. 
that Hashem is going to celebrate over the fall of the Rishayim. But that doesn't seem to be true here. So now we have one reconciliation, which is the Gemara says, I'm Rabbi Lazar, who ain't Osas? God does not celebrate of Elohim, but he does cause others to rejoice. It says, that Hashem himself will celebrate, but rather, there will be those that rejoice in what Hashem does, Shema Mina. That means Hashem does not rejoice, but others do rejoice. Now this does have ramifications, and it is a something that creates a certain amount of tension and uh, moral dilemma, which is the fact that when it comes to the downfall of one's enemy, we have the saying which says, With the defeat or the fall of your enemy, you should not celebrate. On the other side of this, it's clear from the Gemara here that it's important to say thank you to Hashem and sing Shira to Hashem. So how do we deal with that tension, which is that we're supposed to praise Hashem, we're supposed to sing to Hashem, and then on the other hand, we have this principle, So one of the solutions to that problem is exactly our Gemara over here, which is that the difference has to do with whether it's Hashem or it's human beings. Hashem does not celebrate but those people that experience the they can sing Shira. So for Bnei Yisrael, they can sing Shira, but the Malachim, we're talking about Hashem Shira, they cannot sing that Shira. So that's one way to draw the distinction here between versus the idea that you have to give Odao praise to Hashem. The other way that the Rishonim deal with it is, has to do with the experience of those individuals. The experience of those individuals who were went through the salvation of Hashem. B'nai Israel, who were saved by Hashem, they can sing Shira. The Malachim, on the other hand, who do not experience that and were not brought about because of the salvation of Hashem, they cannot sing Shira. So the difference or distinction we're going to make is whether the individual just went through the traumatic event and was saved. That person can sing Shira. On the other hand, those that did not experience cannot sing Shira. Then I might also explain something else that we have, which is the practice not to say a full Hallel in the entire Pesach. The Gemara in Arachin says that the difference has to do with the Korbanot. That with regards to Sukkah, every day is a different Korban, therefore we say a full Hallel every day. By Pesach, it's the same Korban every day, therefore on the first day you have a full Hallel, after that you only have a Chatziah Hallel, it's only a Minhag. Why is that? So one of the reasons brought down in the Midrash, instead of what we see here, the difference in Korbanot is because that Kriyat Yamsuf took place on the latter of Pesach, on the seventh day of Pesach. And because that's not a good day, because Maseyadai Tovim Bayam, then it would be inappropriate to say Halal on that day. So, wow, that's very nice the Midrash says that, but what about the fact that B'nai Israel sang Az Yashir? They sang Az Yashir, then why is that allowed? And then we're not allowed to say hello. So that distinction might have to do with the fact that B'nai Israel at that time were spontaneously singing praise to Hashem for saving them. They're the ones who went through the ordeal. And they're the ones who are giving praise to Hashem. But afterwards, to sing in a halal afterwards, that would be inappropriate. So that's one methodology or way to distinguish between bin versus giving hodao praise to Hashem. Another track or another way to distinguish has to do with the nature of the praise that's given to Hashem. You're allowed to praise Hashem for saving you and bringing you through salvation. What you can't do is say that Hashem's happy about what transpired. So, therefore, when it comes to Az Yashir, which simply discusses B'nai Yisrael's salvation from being taken through the Yam Suf and the destruction of the Mitzrim, that is permissible. On the other hand, for the Malachim to say Shirat 
is inappropriate, but also for future generations, De Hallel is inappropriate. Because as Yashir deals with the topic at hand, Hallel has in it, Hodul Hashem Kitov Kilam Chasto, it's a description of Hashem's happiness as well. And that would be inappropriate, that is not allowed. And that might be another distinction to draw here, which is what are you speaking about? Are you speaking about Hashem Simcha, or are you speaking about your personal Simcha? And again, that distinction can be refined to say that the difference is whether you're singing praise to Hashem is thanking Hashem for your salvation, or you're singing Hashem because He destroyed the enemy that's there, and that's why you're singing. So to sing for your salvation is appropriate, to sing about the enemy that was destroyed is inappropriate. But the basic idea of bin folevecha altismach comes from one of two reasons. One reason is that if you rejoice at the fall of your oyev, of your enemy, then Hashem will look a little more carefully at you. Because the fact that you're laughing means that you think you're on the level where Hashem would not punish you, so Hashem's going to take a deeper look at that. So that's one reason that we say, And the other one is because it's inappropriate. They're human beings. Human beings are dying. Human beings are being destroyed. And therefore, it's not a time for celebration. Again, celebration the loss of life over there. It's a time maybe to celebrate your salvation, but it has to recognize the fact that there are people who are suffering and people that are dying on the other side, despite the fact that they may, they may not care about it. But we do, and we act differently than the people on the other side. Another distinction that's drawn by the Rishonim is, deals with a civil war or inter-battles between different parts of Klausio, whereas the singing song and praise to Hashem of the Rishayim, Ba'ovid Rishayim, Rina, that refers to the other nations of the world. So there are many distinctions that the Rishonim try to draw here in order to reconcile these different approaches, but are really different dilemmas that come up when we're in the success of defeating our enemy. How do we react? Balancing between and the requirement to give Huda the Hashem for helping us defeat our enemies. Obviously, it's very topical to what's transpiring today. Rabbi Abba Bargana Pachta the Hapitcha the Hypisha Dami Hacha used to start his draw show with the Gods of Miglad Esther from here. The Pasuk in last Pasuk in the second parak in Kohelet, which is Ladam Shitov Fanav Natan Chachma Vedat Vesimcha. To the one who's good before him, Hashem gives wisdom and understanding and happiness. Zemorachayat Sadiq. Uluchote Natan Inyan Lesof Lichnos. And to the one who sins before him, he gives to Lesof Lichnos to gather in. Of course, on behalf of the tzaddik, zehaman that refers to aman, tov to give good before God, So you see, in the end, that Mordechai, all of Mordechai, all of Haman's efforts were then to the benefit of Mordechai. So Mordechai was the good one, Haman's the evil one. Haman does all the work to gather it in, and then that's all given to Mordechai because Esther appoints Mordechai over Beit Haman. He used to open up from this. I will put my throne in Elam, and I will wipe out from there king and ministers. Now, Elam is the country or the area in which Shushana Bira sits. Shushana Bira is the city or the capital city, and it's in within Elam. So now, Hashem says that I'll place my throne in Elam, and I'll wipe out the king and the ministers. Melech Zuvashti. That's the wiping out of Vashti, who is, as the Gemara says before, from that 
royal lineage of Nebuchadnezzar, Visarim, and the minister Zehaman, that's the wiping out of Haman, Vaseret Banav, and his ten children. Dimi Bar opened up his drosha from here. Ki avadim anachnu, we are servants. Ubavotenu lo azavnu elukenu. And despite the fact that we are in galut, in exile, and despite the fact that we are under the dominion of others, we have not left God. Ve'et aleinu chesed ipnei machei paras. And therefore we have been granted with favor in the eyes of machei paras, who then granted us, ateilanu michia, to provide us with sustenance and to allow us to go to Eretz Yisrael and rebuild the Mikdash. So when was this? Eimatai, when did this happen? Bizman Mordechai or Bizman Haman. That was the time of Mordechai and Haman that Hashem intercedes on our behalf. And therefore the kings of Persia find favor with our people. And they protect us because we remain faithful to Hashem despite the fact that we are in Galut. Okay, we'll stop over here and we'll continue with these themes again tomorrow and with the Agatha that continues with regards to the Megillah and Purim.